joining us today on Lattes with Leaders. I'm Zaina. And I'm Trisha. And we're excited for you to join us as we catch up over coffee with CEOs and executives from diverse backgrounds and industries. We seek to discover what is unique about each leader and educate you guys on new and interesting topics. Our conversations seek to enlighten and inspire people from around the world to realize that ordinary people can achieve extraordinary things. So he sat me down the last day he was leaving and said, hey, this is what happened. I totally, you know, was pushing for you to to get promoted, but they just don't appreciate you here. And so when he said that, it was something that I knew deep down, like, okay, I get it now. But it was, it was something that I knew. But when he said it, it just sort of took a whole new meaning. And I'm just like, ah. In today's episode, we speak with Lisa Love, the CMO of Tenoshi, a company with the mission to provide equal access to education through technology. Having spent 11 years working for the number one online retailer of wine, Lisa decided to leave after facing adversity in the workplace. Lisa went on to co-found Tenoshi and has featured on Shark Tank in 2020. Lisa was also named one of 100 Powerful Women of 2020 by Entrepreneur Magazine and Top 100 Women Entrepreneurs of 2020 by Inc. Magazine. Lisa shares her experiences, how she overcame her challenges both in the corporate and startup world, and how she built a meaningful career for herself as an entrepreneur. Thanks for joining us, Lisa. We'd love to start off by exploring briefly how you've gotten to where you are currently at Tanoshi. You know, I went to business school. I received my MBA a long time ago. And after graduating, I said, you know, I'm going to give corporate life 10 years, learn what I can on their dime and eventually do my own thing, branch out and start my own company. 10 years turned into 15, then 20 you know, you get comfortable and you have that steady paycheck. And that's what happened with me. At one point in my career, I was, you know, working for, uh, it was, it was a startup when I started, I was there for 11 years. And, but, you know, by the time I left, it had grown significantly. It was like almost probably nearly a hundred million dollar business. Um, but I watched that growth throughout the 11 years. Um, But the last two years, it was just absolutely miserable for me. And that's when I said, you know, this, this is my sign. This is, this is the sign for me to, uh, to just, you know, make that leap. Why were you so miserable at work? And what was the Do you have a specific moment that you remember that you were like, I've got to get out of here? Right. Yeah. So, you know, I've always said your manager can make you or break you. And for the first, oh, about nine years or so, I had a great manager. And, you know, the, the particular business that I was in, I was leading that business. Like it was, it was the number one revenue generating business 
And it was because, and I don't want to brag really, but it was because of me and me going out and starting that business. It was Amazon. And each year it was growing, like triple digit growth. Yet I was never promoted or other than, you know, thank you (laughs) at the end of the year for your accomplishment. That was it. And again, I was seeing everyone else around me and I was the only black person in a management type position at that company. And I'm looking around me and I'm just like, this, something's wrong here. And so, you know, like I said, I I asked for promotions, but it never happened. They'd make an excuse. Oh, you're not visible enough. And I'm like, well, how visible do I need to get? You know, I'm, I'm managing the number one business in my department. And so, so finally, like my manager at the time, like I I got along fine with him and it wasn't him that was making the decisions. It was above him that was making the decisions. And so he left. I had another manager, which that's when everything just, just went downhill. And I was seeing a therapist because it was just mentally draining you know, someone just hovering over you, watching every step. And I was training him to do the position that I should have been doing. So it was just like a a real slap in the face. I read your article, they don't appreciate you here and how, you know, that culture of not really understanding what value different people bring to the table and not really building in that diversity and inclusion, Mm -hmm. and how that can really impact your career. But I wanted to come back to that point where you made that decision to leave um, your your company and and sort of just explore the other options. That's right. a very difficult decision to make. Right. How did you yeah, how did you make that decision? It was it was a mutual decision, believe me. Um you know it was definitely it was a long process. And just to sort of touch on what you said I did write that article, they don't appreciate you here. And what what had happened was, so, you know, I had my longtime manager that I was working with, which we were great. And then a short-term manager, he was there for maybe about a year or so. And he was not happy there either. And he, the last day that he was there, he sat me in his office. And he basically, because he was very much an advocate for me. And he, he told, you know, the upper, the, the executives basically that were making the decision, who's going to take his place. He told them, you know, I'm the best fit. I've been here. I know the systems. I know the processes, you know, he was much, very much an advocate for me in, in this new director role it would have been. And so, but he said he was just shot down by, his manager and, you know, whoever else. And so, so he sat me down the last day he was leaving and said, Hey, this is what happened. I totally, you know, was pushing for you to to get promoted, but they just don't appreciate you here. And so when he said that it was something that I knew deep down, like, okay, I get it now. Um, But it was, it was something that I knew, but when he said it, it just sort of, took a whole new meeting. And I'm just like, ah. and so when I got my new manager, and that's when it really did go downhill. My very first meeting with him, he he sat me down in the office. And I remember this, he's like, you wanted my job, didn't you? 
And I looked at him. I'm like, what kind of question is that? <laughs> like the first time we were even talking. And it that was, is a very awkward conversation. Yes. yes. Like, how could you, how could you ask me that question? That's what he said to me. And I'm like, I just looked at him. I'm like, I, I didn't even know what to say really. But yeah. um, so that's yeah. how our relationship started. So it was just butting heads. The whole yeah. Time. That's not, that doesn't uh, sound like a good start to, <laughs> yeah, to his role and to your relationship with him. But of course, I mean, you, you made the right choice for you. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to explore what happened after you made that choice. So, you know, again, so I, I had to, during that, those last two years, I was seeing a therapist because uh, it was just mentally draining and I just couldn't understand what was happening. I had been there so long and I thought, you know, the folks that I worked with, I thought they would support me more. There was a lot of stuff going on mentally and so there was just a lot of reevaluating who I am as a person and like my capabilities. Cause when I left, I wasn't even sure like, okay, am I even smart? What can I do? And so I fumbled a lot. I had to rediscover who I was as a person. And after fumbling for a good year or so and trying to figure it out, I knew I didn't want to go back to another corporate company. I wanted to really pursue the entrepreneurial journey, but didn't really know what I wanted to do. I mean, you know, I had a marketing background, so I was doing a little bit of contract work and consulting and stuff like that, but still trying to figure it out basically. And then I always worked with my mom. My mom taught in LA, Los Angeles Unified School District for 50 years. And I always, that was part of my side hustle was, was education and helping her. She's very creative. So she had a lot of materials that she de- uh, developed over the 50 years. And, and I was always helping her like go to market with her materials. And so at that point, after, you know, I left the company, she was developing a typing app for kids, for, for kindergartners. And so I went to a, a pitch contest here in Oakland, California, and saw or heard a pitch from Brad Johnston, who's the CEO of Sonoshi, I heard him pitch the computer and it just was like, ding, ding, ding. I need to go up to him and talk to him and tell him about what I'm doing with, with my mom about the typing program, because it would totally complement what the computer and what he's doing. So anyway, so that's how that sort of started. When you were kind of trying to figure out, you know, what to do with a startup, what was the thing that really kept you alive and kept you wanting to continue down that route? For me, I think it's just, it's something within me. Like I said, when I was in, you know, 20 years prior, I always said I I wanted to start my own business. I had tried several different things within those 20 years, nothing really stuck. And for me, you know, even growing up with my mom, um, she's very much, she instilled in me, you know, you keep trying, you keep at it, you keep going, keep pushing, you know, and that's, that's basically one of one of her products is, is just building self-esteem in kids at an early age. And so I think it's my upbringing that just, just said, you know, I can't quit. I have to keep going. I have no choice, but to keep going, you know? Um, And so, so that's kind of how I just stuck with it. I knew that there's something out there. I just needed to find it and I needed to get out of myself. I mean, one of the things, you know, as an entrepreneur, you definitely have to get out of yourself and network. I, I, network is so key. Meeting people. Um, I didn't want to go to that pitch 
pitch contest <laughs> that where I met Brad. But my friend was like, come on, let's go. You know, you never know who you're going to meet. And so I did. And, you know, five years later, here I am. <laughs> yeah, that's um, crazy when you think about how life could have turned out if you just made one or two different choices. Right. But also amazing to think that because you made certain choices, your life is what it is. Right. Everyone has options, right? I mean, from, from day one, you know, from the beginning of time, we all are given options. It's just a matter of which option are you going to take, right? And it's hard to, to figure it out. But I don't know, I have to believe like something inside of you, something, you know, something's going to happen. Like for me, it was just the situation that I was in at my at the company where I was miserable. Like, you know, that was that's what drove me out. Exactly. Particularly when you're so unhappy. I know I've been in that position a few times in my career where I was so unhappy and I just needed to do something different. Mm-hmm. And whether that was kind of taking some time off or leaving the organization for something else. Um, and it's probably led to my most interesting career periods as well, um, which right. I'm sure it sounds like it's the same for you. Um, but one thing I that always comes to my mind when I'm speaking to someone who's gone from corporate to uh, kind of building your own company mm-hmm. how different was that from you because you were quite senior in your corporate so I imagine you had like a big team that kind of helped you do a lot of things and you're almost managing more than you're doing um, and how has that changed since the startup and you're really you know driving yourself right so like you said working for five, fortune at least 500 companies they have the resources, they have the money, you know, they have the clout, they have just, you know, the backing in general. When you go to a startup or you start your own company, all of that is, is gone. (laughs) Uh, You know, you're developing the process, right? When you're a startup, you're, you're trying to, you know, funding is, is, is big, is huge, right? Trying to, to, um, fund the the whole project i i do want to also talk to you about what it's been like sourcing funding um particularly for a a company like yours which is a hardware business Mm -hmm. but also given the context that you've just described to us before which is you coming in as you know a, a black female founder that there's not much representation there when it comes to you know uh, black women founders who have successfully raised um, money and wanted to touch on your experiences here and sort of what your perspectives are on funding and what advice you would give to people in in your position. Yeah, definitely. Uh, as a black woman founder, it's extremely difficult. Less than 1% of black women founders receive funding. So it's an everyday challenge you have to have thick skin. You have to be prepared for all the no's, 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 no's. The thing that is actually getting better is there are more women, black women founder groups that are popping up where, you know, we can talk to each other. We can help each other. We can, um, you know, just be that sort of shoulder to lean on 
when you are getting all the the rejections yeah and I was gonna say like particularly as you mentioned like for hardware because generally for people who aren't familiar with venture right. um, my understanding with the hardware business is the capital required is quite right. a lot more risky right. um, and also quite a lot more expensive because you actually have to have quite a bit to be able to buy you right. know the laptops etc um and venture generally as well, Lisa, from my understanding, you know, you're a lot less likely to get funding if you're a woman and you're extremely unlikely to get funding if you're black female specifically. Um, so what was it like for you, like when you were pitching, you know, um, and even the sh- like the Shark Tank experience, how did that come around? Were you looking for these kind of different funding groups um, as you were proactively seeking funding or was that? an accident hardware is is hard it's very capital intensive and a lot of hardware startups have failed and so it's left this bad taste in the mouth of of a lot of vcs especially in silicon valley so you know it's just it's really difficult and shark tank was something that just came out of the it was very unexpected uh, I had never even watched Shark Tank. I've, of course, heard of it, but never really sat down to watch it. And uh, someone from Shark Tank, the casting director, contacted Brad, just sent him an email out of the blue and asked if we wanted to audition. So we just went through the process and then ended up on the show. Yeah, I was going to say a big part of Shark Tank is the brand recognition that you get. So I'm sure you would have received a lot of interest in your company following that uh, episode. Yes, definitely. So it aired in May of 2020 for the first time. Then it aired in July of 2020. And then now we're on reruns. So every several months it airs. So, I mean, you can't beat that, right? National TV every whatever few months. Um, So that definitely helps. And talk to us um, about Tanoshi and what Tanoshi does and why you are so passionate about the company. Right. So Tanoshi, you know, we're a mission-driven company and we are preparing all kids for a digital future, no matter their socioeconomic background. I mean, it's pretty basic, right? So I grew up with textbooks. Um, and if you didn't have a textbook, you were going to be, fall behind. I mean, you definitely needed your textbook to learn, right? So now textbooks, computers are what textbooks were back in the day. Without a computer, kids will fall behind. And so and that during COVID opened up everyone's eyes to the dire need for all kids to have a computer at home where they can do their homework, where they can do research, you know, 16 million kids throughout the U S didn't have a computer or internet access during, during the pandemic, which, you know, which can I just say is completely balmy to me. And given that it's a developed country with some of the biggest tech firms in the world coming out of that country, it's so surprising that there's so many people who don't have access to, I'd say the internet was a basic need now, right? You can't do a lot of things without that. Particularly, 
you know, when we think about the last two years with school being so disrupted um, for so many young children, and then on you add on top of that not having access to the internet to be able to explore and learn yourself, it puts people in a, a, like you're almost already on the back foot and you've barely started your life. It'll be interesting to see the impact, right? Like all those millions of kids that did not have a computer or internet access for, you know, a whole year, year and a half. What's, you know, how's that going to impact them in the future? And speaking of kind of trying to get your company, trying to help Mm -hmm. get these laptops in people's hands, You've had a lot of challenges as well as a growing startup during the COVID period. And we was on our last podcast, we talked um, to a CEO of an ag tech business and she was, we were talking about the disruption of supply chains. And I think your story of how that's actually impacted you as a business owner is so profound. Um, Yeah, just trying to actually still survive and keep going when there's so many shortages. Oh yeah, definitely. It's definitely felt throughout the whole uh, industry, um, the space that we're in. Um, So yeah, during COVID 2020, six out of the 12 months, we didn't have supply. And it wasn't that we didn't have, we didn't, you know, put the order in or anything like that. It was because of all the delays. I mean, COVID first started in China. We had placed our order in 2019. And then, you know, early 2020 in January, December, January, China shut down, right? And then we shut down in March. So six months out of the year, we didn't have supply. Even when we aired on Shark Tank, we did not have physical supply, and we were like, how could this be? You know, <laughs> we, we, here we're going to go on national TV and we don't have computers. So we um, set up a pre-order system, which, um, which you know, worked. It, we probably would have done, definitely done more sales if we actually had supply. And it, it's expensive, right? So to fly in, if, if you don't want to ship it, ship your product from China, then you have to fly it and flying, oh my gosh, astronomical prices. So... Yeah. And actually, the price piece is interesting because, you know, particularly since part of the value proposition of Tanoshi is that you want to create an affordable computer for, you know, such that um, people can can buy it and it creates more accessibility. Right. I'm curious more specifically around your your business model as well. Mm-hmm. as a hardware business. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we touched on this earlier when we talked about funding right. um, and how that in itself can be a challenge. But, you know, even when it comes to now grappling with these supply chain issues and keeping the costs low, you know, what? how has your business had to change through COVID? Have you started think of, thinking about other ways to, you know, other ways to incorporate revenue, for example, introducing maybe a software component? Exactly. So, so yes, I mean, think of what we're doing is, is an all-in-one platform for kids. So the hardware piece is like the first stage of our whole business model. Um, and we feel like, you know, we've proven market fit and 
folks love what we're doing. You know, we definitely meet a need. So the next stage is that software piece, right? So um, everyone, you know, a lot of people have heard uh, content is king. So it's, it's preloading content onto our computer that's age appropriate, that's educational, that's fun. So that's what we're focused on right now. That makes a lot of sense. You know, I, it seems like you've created the foundation for a sort of evolving, evolving product, you know, starting with the hardware and then bringing in, bringing in the actual applications that kids can use to learn and to, and, and therefore creating both value for, you know, this, the kids that you're providing computers for, but also for you as well, capturing that value as um, monthly recurring revenue. Right, exactly. So, you know, there's, it's a process. Um, we're at stage, like I said, I mean, we've been doing stage one for the past couple of years. Uh, there's always room for improvement, even that in the first stage, but now, right now it's time to bring in that, that reoccurring revenue, which is what all VCs and, and investors are, are here, are, are telling us is, you know, where's the monthly reoccurring revenue? And, so, so that's definitely our focus uh, moving forward. It's definitely a learning process. And that's a good thing about a startup, though, I have to say, is the small team. And you're right there listening to the customer so you can pivot if you need to quicker than being at a major corporation where there's all that bureaucracy and the, all the layers you have to go through. And so it's just the four of us. So we decide if something, if, you know, customers are, various customers are saying one thing okay let's let's go ahead and do it let's let's implement it yeah exactly um and you know i think that's the beauty of a startup and as you grow the company grows um and you get your product might not look the same as what it is today in like 10 years time but that's right. just part of that process If you would like to get to know more about Lisa and Tanoshi, feel free to follow her on Twitter at Lisa Love or hop on to TanoshiKidsComputers.com. Thank you for joining us on Lattes with Leaders. Be sure to check out our next episode, The One That Educated the Traumatized, where we talk to the co-founder of a not-for-profit in Sierra Leone who proves that you can be successful in any environment. If you want some teasers to this episode and others, Find us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, TikTok at Lattes with Leaders. You can also listen to more episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and a ton of other platforms.